10,514 pages of presidents. <laughs> It no. was winter in New York as the snow began to fall. McKinley sent soldiers to Havana. Na, na, na. <laughs> Welcome to episode 25 of the Presequential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 and under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little known facts about every American president. Season 2 is sponsored by our friends at Greek's Pizzeria. Place your order today at Greek'sPizzeria.com. Russ, give them the slogan It's our taste. Indeed, it is. I'm it's your host. It's our taste. I'm your host, Ryan Allward, joined by those two friends, Blaine Zimmerman and our producer and vice presidential expert, Russell Slifka. Blaine, this is episode 25. You name the episodes, you pick the books that we read, and tonight I think you got the booze too, and it's got a fun story attached to it. So tell the good people all those things. Okay, so this episode, we read the book President McKinley, Architect of the American Century. It was written by Robert W. Mary as in Christmas, Hmm. in 2017, and it comes in at 488 pages. We are now 10,514 pages in. 10,514 pages of presidents. (laughs) We don't have social lives, but that's okay. (laughs) This episode is called The Wobbly. Oh, that's fun. For Wobbly Willie. Was that, that his, was nickname? his nickname? Wow. Wobbly Willie. How did he get he was that known nickname? As being indecisive. Mm. And I put the bottle of booze in your general nook vicinity. Yeah. So that you can do your thing where you pick it up and talk about it. I hold it. I take a gander at the bottle. This is a bottle of bullet bourbon, which <laughs> the humor does not fall short on me. Why you put this, Blaine? <laughs> this is a bullet bourbon frontier whiskey from Kentucky. Thank you very much for bringing that booze to us today. And also, special thanks to, we have a mystery alcohol sponsor who is out there amongst the world mm-hmm. just doing amazing things. And uh, this just person is very generous. all just, over the place. Just, yeah. Thank uh, guys, you, mystery man. So the wob, the wobbly? What are we the talking? wobbly. The wobbly. Wobbly. Wobble, wobble. Wobble, baby. Wobble, baby. Wobble, baby. <laughs> Shout out to all of our patrons on Patreon who are supporting the Presequential Podcast. If you want to get episodes early and ad-free, join for $5 a month on Patreon at patreon.com slash presequential. For $10 a month, you can also get some pretty sweet bonus episodes that we've been recording sent to you on email. So sign up today. Gents, what do you remember about William McKinley from high school social studies class? I'm going to use my proxy. William McKinley was a representative and governor from Ohio. He was assassinated at just six months into his second term. His face was on the $500 bill, which is no longer used. Thanks, Wes. Go ahead, Russ. Nothing. Nothing. No, not a yeah. thing. I mean, I think that I, I think I knew he was assassinated, mm-hmm. and that he preceded Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah, that's pretty much it too. I had that he was assassinated. I vaguely remembered some involvement with the USS Maine because I do remember my U.S. history yeah. teacher covering that about the Spanish American War. Mm-hmm. Uh, was, was Mount McKinley named after him? It was. I feel like I knew that. Yeah, or guessed at it. Yeah, Is, you're getting to a little Is that uh, in Alaska. Early known, fa- uh, little known fact. A little think. early. Yeah. It is up there in Alaska. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk about it. All right, let's dive in. Here we go. William McKinley Jr. was born on January 29th, 1843. Oh, cheers, by the way. Cheers, yes. guys. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Bullet. Bad luck. Let's... Can't, can't not toast before a, an episode. 
He was born in the small town of Niles, Ohio, outside Youngstown, near the Pennsylvania border. He was the seventh of nine children and lived there until age 10 when he moved with his family to nearby Poland, Ohio. Remember that. There's some foreshadowing. Yeah, I was. I just thought that, too, mm-hmm. when I looked down and saw it, because he went to Poland Seminary, and he which was is all- where Russ is from. Russ, you're from the Poland Ser- Seminary? Yeah, wow. right there. I didn't know you were ordained. Way He's to go. Polish. There, Indeed. Yeah, you are Polish, though. His father owned a small iron foundry and instilled in him a strong work ethic as a boy. His mother, Nancy, was devoutly religious and taught him the value of prayer, courtesy, and honesty. He studied hard at a school run by the Methodist Seminary in Poland that you just mentioned. He then entered Allegheny College. Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. Alle- Alle- Allegheny, Allegheny, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, he was a... While he was at Allegheny, he was a staunch abolitionist. Were you going to cover this? Go ahead. He had a classmate once that toasted to Jefferson Davis, and Bill called him a treasonist and said he would fight treason in the South if he were called upon. Mm. Luckily for him, he was about to get that chance. Yeah. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Yeah. He only attended Allegheny for one term because he had uh, some sickness and he got depressed and he withdrew. Well, like you said, Blaine, the Civil War started and he joined the 23rd Ohio Volunteer Infantry. During the war, the young private uh, proved himself a very brave soldier on the battlefield, especially at the Battle of Antietam, one of the bloodiest, if not the bloodiest. I don't know. We about talked that. about it in the last yeah. episode because yeah. his commanding officer was Hayes. He was. That's and right. He, and Hayes promoted him to second lieutenant Mm -hmm. he was a private and he actually commented that he was really happy that he was enlisted first because of the experience that he gained before becoming an officer could you relate with mckinley as you were reading this story too because that was that's exactly how i feel Mm. i feel like having been enlisted first gives me a different perspective yeah not necessarily better or worse but it helps me yeah, kind of cool that there's that little uh, connection there that he was serving under Hayes. Not mm-hmm. a lot of I did not know that until I read Hayes's book, and I was like, oh, I'm going to remember that from McKinley's episode. Hayes and McKinley remained tight throughout the rest of his life. The 23rd Ohio was in the thick of the fighting of Antietam in September 1862, and McKinley came under heavy fire when bringing rations to the men on the line. Antietam is South calls that Bull Run, right? That's one of the battles uh, that the South has a different name know. for than the I North. Don't know. Producer Russ, would you kindly research that for us? I would us? love to. Thank you. Very Without very snapping, I would <laughs> yeah. love it. Have I snapped at Russ before? <laughs> no, just plain. Just now. <laughs> Uh, McKinley's regiment was detached from the Army of the Potomac during that battle and returned by train to Western Virginia. He ended his four-year stint in the Army as a brevet major, gaining a title that would stay with him throughout his political career. He said, of all the titles that I've earned, I at least know that one I have won. It just or hit earned, me. rather. Antietam wasn't Bull Run. Manassas was Bull Run. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Go ahead, Russ. Yeah, Antietam was the Battle of Sharpsburg, but I don't think it was the same kind of thing north and south. I thought okay. it was yeah, just there's a lot of names. I mean, the whole war. They call yeah. it the War of Northern Aggression. That's true. <laughs> so stupid. It is. It's pretty outlandish. Like I went through officer infantry school with yeah. a guy that went to high school in Georgia, and he said that his textbooks in school called it the War of Northern Aggression. Wow. <laughs> Novin. N a w t h apostrophe n Novin. Uh, When the Civil War ended, McKinley returned to Ohio to begin his career in law and politics. He studied law at the Albany Law School, passed the bar in 1867, and began his legal practice in Canton, Ohio. President that studied law. Yes. Yeah. Huh. I know. 
shocking. Novel, right? Yeah. At a Canton picnic in 1869, the year he entered politics, McKinley met and began courting his future wife, Ida Saxton, marrying her two years later. He was 27. She was 23 at the time. Mary writes in the book that we read, quote, McKinley was struck by what he saw. First, her somewhat unladylike zest in devouring her chicken on waffles. <laughs> then Got her, thing with some zest. her beauty, charm, and personality. End quote. Okay. Um, he, hmm. He's like, who's that chicken? Who's chicken the and waffles? woman with the unusual zest? <laughs> he tasted ice cream for the first time after the Civil War and complained to the waiter that someone had frozen his custard. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Hey, hey, buddy. Hey, hey. his custard's frozen. Like, sir, oh. that's ice cream. No. Nope. Nope. It's frozen custard. Don't like it. Don't yeah. appreciate it. Let me garnish it with some oysters. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. Let me just drizzle those on there. <laughs> this custard is frozen. That's so great. He also married way up. Yeah, he really did. Ida was very wealthy. Yeah. Her dad was a wealthy businessman, I think, in the local area. So he yeah. did all right. Yeah. But then quickly she devolved mm, into yeah. spinal injury, epilepsy, depression, yeah. He was constantly caring for her. He considered actually giving up his political ambition yeah. to properly care for his wife. Yeah. And this all happened. Well, not all of it happened, but the depression part of it really kicked in because shortly after they were married, Ida gave birth to a daughter named Catherine on Christmas Day, 1871. A second daughter, also named Ida, was born two years later, but died four months into her young life. Catherine passed away from typhoid fever in 1875, around the age of four, and Ida then descended into a deep depression at her baby's death, and her health, which was never really great to begin with, started to decline, and a lot of people think she was uh, epileptic and possibly just undiagnosed. Yeah. During her time as first lady, a little later, she often needed to be sedated to enable her to sit through official functions, and her husband would occasionally throw a handkerchief over her face whenever she suffered from a seizure. And then she would be like, how much longer is left in this thing? And he would be like, 20, 20, 24 hours to go. And she would go, I want to be sedated. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's not like you have nothing to do and nowhere to go. She would say... I want to be sedated. In 1876, America's centennial year, McKinley defended a group of striking coal miners who allegedly incited a riot at a main in Tuscarawas Valley before tussling with the Ohio militia sent in by Governor Hayes, his mentor. All but one of the miners were acquitted, and McKinley refused any compensation for his legal services. He said the money should go to these miners who have been striking and to support their families. I don't need any of it. So um, there were children, miners. No, miners like coal miners. Oh, Although okay. I wouldn't put it past them to be a miner, 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 miner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got the black lung. Pop. I think the book like uh, compared him to John Adams covering the Boston Massacre. Mm. I can see that. Uh, representing sure. the British soldiers. Yeah, or the incident on King Street, as the British called it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The In 1887, he was... Western aggression. <laughs> <laughs> he was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, and he served there until 1883, and again from 1885 to 1891. He was elected governor of Ohio in 1892 and held that post until 96. As governor, McKinley supported other Republicans running for office and promoted business inside the state. In 1896, he was nominated... What? what I was just promoting business. I, I just, it's the concept of, just, I'm here to promote business. 
What exactly is that, sir? <clears throat> Whatever you want it to be. <laughs> Did you think me clearing my throat meant I was going to talk? I, 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 I just... No. I trusted uh, you with the I'm bit. just here to promote business in general. Hmm. He sounds like a stand-up fellow. Nope. Nope. <laughs> in 1896... I don't think they should pay taxes. In 1896, McKinley was nominated to run for president as the Republican Party nominee with, this is a great name, Garrett Hobart as his running mate. He was opposed by William Jennings Bryan. Is that what Hobart's named after? Yeah, I mean... The town? Hobart, Indiana? Yeah. Oh, now I want to yeah, look that been. up. Could have been. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past him. Ohio, Indiana, neighbors. But that's on the other side of Indiana. Hobart's up in the region. Oh, yeah, you're right. Region rats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, William Jennings Bryan accepted the Democratic nomination and gave a famous speech called the Cross of Gold speech in which he denounced the gold standard. This okay. is a little so, bit of like the thing that I just kind of glazed over when I was yeah, reading yeah. this book. It's a little... Oh. Yeah. There's a piece you should not have glazed over. Go ahead. So at the time, the Democrats were effectively a silver party Mm -hmm. and the Republicans were a gold party. I'm a gold man. Yeah. They were gold members, Mm -hmm. if you will. (laughs) Um, So the guy that Williams Jennings, William Jennings Jennings Bryan Bryan Mm -hmm. beat for the Democratic nod was also a large silver advocate. Okay. Uh, His name was Dick Bland, uh, also known as Silver Dick. (laughs) Uh, because of his, <laughs> yeah, uh, aka the kickstand. Oh boy, uh, <laughs> the wobbly willy. Yeah, yeah silver so, dick. That was his nickname. Uh, yeah, I'm a dick man. <laughs> yep. But William Jennings Bryan beat him. He beat Dick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Handily. <laughs> Unfortunately, we didn't get a great campaign mm. between Silver Dick and Wobbly Willie. <laughs> okay, so yeah, there's like this gold and this silver debate. The Republicans were gold people and the Democrats were silver. He also famously around that time said, we cannot gamble with anything so sacred as money, which it's literally how you gamble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't. Entirely understand that quote. Hmm, I don't understand it either. Although maybe gambling was a little bit different back then. Maybe you gambled with life. I think that he was saying like we can't, he was talking policy wise. Yeah. We can't change the gold standard because yeah. we're, yeah. Yeah. So in the end, McKinley wins the election with 51% of the popular vote and 271 out of 447 electoral votes. He easily won the nomination for president again in 1900 and was again opposed by William Jennings Bryan. Theodore Roosevelt ran as McKinley's vice president. The main issue of the campaign was America's growing imperialism, which the Democrats spoke out against. McKinley won the election with 292 out of the 447 electoral votes. So he, let's back up the yep. train here sure. a little bit. So he had to date the largest campaign budget of anyone. And it's probably the first time we've really seen business back yeah. a candidate because he was backed by Rockefeller, J.P. Morgan, and New York Life. And I think there was a guy named Hannah from Cleveland. Jack. Yeah. He would come nope. in with like a snake. Mm, different Hannah. <laughs> he was actually his great, great, great grandson. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. He was born in an egg. From the snake, cracked Uh, out of it. So he also, when he won the first time in 96, John Hay sent him a gold ring that had some of Washington's hairs in it. Mm, That's odd. How would you, one, how do you procure the hair of the first dead president? Dig him up. Man, that's weird. Or maybe he had a hair doll. 
I'm made, just like I made this doll out of your hair, George. <laughs> and then do you smelt the gold and just like sprinkle the hair in it? I I don't know. Smelt? Hmm. Is that what you Yeah. You smelt the gold. I think you melt it down, but then you add an S in front of it, so it becomes smelt. Huh. It's like a patty smelt. Help <laughs> <laughs> that I, gold smelt. I hope there's a woman out there named Patty Smelt. Oh, listening right now for sure the odds what are the odds russ uh, producer russ oh, oh, look man. up uh, what are the odds of uh, i'll tell you <laughs> probably not as high as the odds of guessing a name out of a hat correctly How, yeah it's like let's just give the background real quick we were at a concert and there was a guy in front of us that was relatively obnoxious looking oh, and ryan was like what do you think that guy's name is and i was like i bet it's jeremy <laughs> and so when the song ended and it got quiet. I yelled, hey, Jeremy. And he turned around. And we were like, oh, my God. Oh my God Russ that... looked it up. It was like one in 6.3 million chance that we would have just picked a name out and gotten it right oh, on the first man. try. And then, Russ, you went over because he moved. You and became you, friends you, with him. You became buddies with him, right? Yeah. Oh, he was man. my favorite person there. <laughs> All right. So he's he's president. And he uh, he appoints TR, Teddy Roosevelt, to be Assistant Secretary Are of the Navy. Are we just skipping his whole entire first? Oh, no, you said Secretary of the Navy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Assistant Secretary of the Navy. And this was interesting about TR. So he, uh, McKinley could spot promise and potential in younger people. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, the guy who ran his... The miners. Uh, the the, <laughs> <laughs> the guy who ran, and I'm forgetting his name now. I think it might have been Dawes. But the guy who ran his campaign and the financial aspect of the campaign and again you're i mean like you mentioned these are big big dollars he was a nobody but then he continued to rise through the ranks and eventually a couple presidents later he you know very much ascended and if mckinley had not given him his first shot this this young guy might not have accomplished everything he did but tr was similar because they didn't really get along too well roosevelt at one point claimed that his boss possessed quote no more backbone than a chocolate eclair when uh, the situation with Spain was deteriorating. Huh. He, that's a, okay. He that's called, a, quite the burn. He called McKinley uh, a pastry. Uh, <laughs> and and McKinley said, you know what? He's not really my cup of tea, but we're going to give this guy a shot, you know. And this relationship, I mean, everything that we know about TR, really we wouldn't have TR without McKinley, you know, giving him a shot saying, listen, I, I see the promise. He's a talented guy. Don't really get along with him, but let's give him a position that he can rise in the ranks of. And he did not throw away his shot. <sighs> Drink. Bow. We haven't had a Hamilton reference in a while. Good <laughs> Hamilton reference, Blaine. <laughs> the running joke, if you're just now joining on this episode, is that if Blaine or any of us mentions Hamilton, the musical, uh, you have to drink. So, cheers. Cheers. Yeah, so some of the other stuff before we jump into... Spain slash Cuba, yeah, uh, which is obviously a, a pretty big pin in the hat. Mm-hmm. He annexed Hawaii after yeah, he did. Japanese demands. He actually saw it as manifest destiny. He said that we need Hawaii just as much and a good deal more than we did California. Mm. It is manifest destiny. Because mm. up to that point, it was a monarchy. Yeah. A Queen, Queen Lilu Kalani. Say it again. Lilu Kalani. Mm. Um, she was overthrown in 1893. Yeah. I think Benjamin Harrison sent people in to protect yes. the queen. Harrison actually sent a bill to the Senate to approve the annexation, but Grover Cleveland became president before it was passed, and he withdrew it. Right. So when McKinley became president, he tried to he reintroduce the bill. Back at you. Yeah. But the Hawaiian Patriotic League was somewhat of a roadblock. 
and that kept the U.S. at bay until the events of Historically, they always are. Yeah. Those, just, oh, the HPL? Yeah. Oh, just, Every time there's progress for oh, Hawaii, just like, HPL comes mm, in. Just like says, lava. Not on my watch. Just like lava slowly <laughs> trailing down a road, and we're like, I'm trying to get through. Yeah. He made building a canal in Central America mm. a top priority. However, he was focused on Nicaragua. So, as we'll talk about a little bit in the next episode, Nicaragua was the original uh, concept for what is now the Panama Canal. Mm-hmm. Part of that is because, well, let's just dive into it now. Yeah, go ahead. Part of that was because there was a lot of money already thrown into the Nicaragua project, and a lot of politicians had kind of their hands in the cookie jar. They had folks that were funding them, like the businesses were paying them to convince people the actual like government that it should be in Nicaragua because these are the companies that would have benefited from that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they really liked the idea of being able to do intercontinental travel across Central America. Yeah. But basically the there was a threat of volcanoes and worse weather. And I believe that and we'll talk about in the next episode, there was some sort of military coup that happened in Nicaragua okay. and Roosevelt pivoted and the canal was built in Panama. One of my favorite palindromes. Well, first of all, thank you for all of that. You were going to do one of my favorite palindromes, which I feel in and of itself should be a palindrome fact is a man, a plan, a canal, Panama. Mm -hmm. What's my favorite Van Halen song. What's that? Panama. Oh, Mm. what's your favorite palindrome? Do you have one? No. Russ, do you have one? Race car. That's a good one. Uh, Do you see God? Doogie Sea God. Uh, Red rum, sir, is murder. That's geese, another one. Geese are evil creatures. I don't really yield when I am driving. I, I will not hit a goose because I don't want to be liable because I know they're like protected by law. But I am bigger in my car than your little gosling, probably named Ryan. Ryan. And I will honk at you in my Equinox. <laughs> Because I got to get mine in a Chevy Equinox. You can get yours in a 6-4. That's a little Montel Jordan for you. Okay. Uh, but I will honk at the goose, and I will get very close. I firmly believe that geese are the devil incarnate. Mm. Hmm. The devil's bird, if you will. Yeah. Have They're you ever had like a negative interaction with a goose? Lots. Ru- most runners hate geese. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You encounter them a lot, don't All you? All the time, yeah. Have you ever been attacked by one? I'm not, no, they haven't gotten that far. I've had a friend uh, kicked one in the head once. Wow. <laughs> I was running at him and he just kind of flailed and panicked and it caught yeah. the goose right in the, Oof. right in the kisser. I'm sure it was fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All, Pete is mad now. <laughs> Pete is not listening. <laughs> no, they're not. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Nicaragua. Right. William McKinley in Nicaragua. <laughs> Nicaragua is far away from Panama too. If you look at Central America compared to where Panama is, like it's a hike. Is it? Yeah. It's I would assume it's a boat right And you got Costa Rica, and then I think, and maybe then Panama. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not really. I've gone through the Panama Canal. Have you? Yeah. It was cool because it was like, hey, tomorrow we're going to the Panama Canal. It's pretty cool. But it's like if you're in your cabin and you just look out the window, it's just concrete. Just water. It's just concrete. Like Does it, it lift you up? I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember if there's a, like a lock system. There has to be a lock system, I would think. I was there. Yeah. You've, been, you've gone through the Panama? I wasn't on the boat. I was actually. You were like, on the ship with me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You've gone through it though. One set of footprints. What? Uh, <laughs> You've been through the Panama Canal. I yeah. No, we took a bus there. You took a bus through the canal <laughs> to the canal. It Wait, is you a drove a system. bus from 
I drove a bus. Indiana to Panama. <laughs> yeah. Russ, how did Why? this happen? Uh, Were you a missionary? I feel like you're no. George's boss on Seinfeld. <laughs> George Steinbrenner? No, no, no. I, I, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, who's who's the boss who does the amazing things? Tony Danza. Tony no. Danza. No. God. You guys both answered <laughs> oh, that question. Oh, uh, Elaine's it's, boss. It's Elaine's boss. Oh, yeah. The catalog guy. Yeah, yeah the catalog uh, guy. Peterman. Peterman. Yeah. Jay Peterman. Yeah, Jay Peterman. Yeah, Peterman. Okay. Okay, Wait, why, hold on, were you hold going to yeah, why were you on a bus? We uh, went on a trip to Panama. Who's we? Yeah. Uh, my wife uh, and two other couples. Why did you, you choose a bus? Pan- well, we flew there and then we weren't on a cruise fl- ship. <laughs> you, can fl- you can fly there? <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, and then we went to the Panama Canal and we went to the place where they operate the locks. Okay. And then you sit and you wait while the locks <laughs> do their thing, which takes... A really long time. You know, did you have bagels while you were there? While you were watching the locks? Oh. Naturally. Bagels. Are you a capers on your bagels and locks? No. no. I'm not even a locks on my bagels. Really? Only oh. in Panama. <laughs> <laughs> One set of footprints. <laughs> yeah, so go. Uh, is that your Nicaragua uh, portion? Uh, uh, yeah, this, this has notes? been the Nicaragua minute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the His White House physician was Captain Leonard Wood. Uh, some may know uh, as the base Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was his White House. Actually, I believe he was the White House physician for hmm. multiple presidents because I think he was also Teddy Theodore's. TRS, yeah. McKinley was big on expanding the Navy. I mean, he was definitely aware of what a transcontinental canal could do for yeah. America's superiority. And, then, and Roosevelt ran with that. Yeah, he really did. Yeah. Why do you think he put him as Secretary of the Navy, Assistant Secretary of the Navy? Why Assistant that position? To the general manager. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Why that position? I don't know. Okay. Maybe I we'll mean, get more Maybe into we'll that. cover that next yeah. week. I don't yeah, remember. Yeah. I know there was a reason, but I don't remember the reason. Yeah. Well, the U.S. supported Cuba in its struggle with Spain, and the situation was quickly deteriorating. And in February of 1898, off the coast of Havana, the American battleship, the USS... Oh, no, no. McKinley sent soldiers to Havana. Na na na. No one knows why it exploded. Ooh na na. (laughs) So the USS Maine blows up and it sinks. Sure did. And under very mysterious circumstances, still to this day, we don't know if it was internal explosion, like a round popping off, Mm -hmm. or if it got torpedoed. Yeah, there was like a thing about the mines in the harbor. I think. Oh yeah, if it hit a mine. Yeah. Well, 266 sailors were killed, and this rallying cry of Remember the Maine was this very popular slogan around the time to galvanize support for the declaration of war that Congress authorized on April 25th, 1898. Uh, It was retroactively dated to April 21st. And so the Spanish-American War then starts. It's about 100 days long, and uh, the United States destroys the Spanish fleet outside Cuba's Santiago. Around this time, they also seized Manila. Manila in the Philippines and annexed Puerto Rico and Guam. It was a thriller. It was a thriller. And it was only like 20 million bucks back then from the treasury to basically get that land. And Spain's run of colonial dominance, not only in the Caribbean, but in the Pacific, was effectively over. Yeah, I was, as I was reading the book, I was very confused how Guam came into play here because. We're focused on Central America, and all of a sudden, we've just wrapped up a Pacific island. Yeah. like, I, And I still am unclear how that became. And I, maybe just because Spain was occupying Guam, yeah. and they were like, you lose, we get everything. Yeah. But 
yeah, as I was reading it, I was like, wait, Guam. I'm, yeah, maybe I'm an idiot. I always thought Guam was in the Pacific, and so I looked it up, and I was like, nope, there it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Okay. Let me ask you this though: What comes to mind when you think of Guam? Uh, like as one, a military man, one guy that I went to base training with that was from Guam. Oh, really? Yeah, that he, was a literal. Like, was he Guamian? Guamese? Producer Russ, I can you look up what someone, this. what the what the name is for someone who is from Guam? Yeah, I'm looking that up right now. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. I'm going to have to edit out all those things. (laughs) I think uh, Guam is a strategic island for the Air Force. Yeah. There's a B-2. Yeah. uh, I think you can can fly stealth bombers from Guam to basically as a threat, offensive or defensive, to Asia. Yeah. Yeah. No, it strategically makes sense. I'm just saying, like, timeline-wise, it doesn't. Right. We're getting Puerto Rico, Cuba, and, and Guam. Yeah, like, like what? what was that Where? last one? Like, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We got it. <laughs> Russ, bring bring the heat with uh, with some Guam. People born in Guam are American citizens by birth. Okay, they are indigenous Guamanians. Guamanian. They are the Chamuru, historically known as the Chamorro people. Okay. okay. Cool. Yeah, and we won't get into San Juan Hill. We'll we'll Not save yet. that. Yeah, for, yeah. Two, for two weeks from now. You want to take a break? Let's take a break. Hey, you're going to hear from some of our fantastic sponsors who are listening to episode 25, the... Wobbly. Wobbly. We'll wobbly, be right back. Wobbly. Blaine, you look different. Did you get a haircut? Oh, I did. Thanks for asking. Oh, it looks nice. People have been noticing more often since I've started going to Chop Chop Barbershop. Say that one more time. Uh, people have noticed more often since I've been going to Chop Chop Barbershop. Chop Chop. Yeah. It's this super cool, very clean spot over by 16th and College area, oh, yeah. 16th and Yandis, if you will. Okay, I will, here uh, in Indy. Yeah, super cool building, old school style barber shop. Anthony always fades me up well. He leads this diverse team of three other barbers. All three of my kids get their haircuts there. Even my wife gets her haircut Oh, they there. do ladies' cuts, yeah, too. from, you know, fades to braids and everything in between. I love that. And if I wanted more info, where could I go? I would check out, personally... ChopChopBarbers.com. Okay, ChopChopBarbers.com. From fades to braids to kitty cuts to the coolest barbershop there is. I don't want to look bad, so I'm going to go to Chop Chop Barbershop. Yeah. Doop, doop. Yeah. Welcome back to the award-winning mm. Presequential Podcast. Yo, let's talk about that. Of the Veteran Podcast Award in the History category. Uh, we just... Gave our acceptance speech tonight. We're big fans of ourselves. Season two is presented by Greek's Pizzeria. Go order your pizza online at greekspizzeria.com. It's our taste. It is our taste. Russ, why don't you fill us in a little bit on President McKinley's vice presidents? Yeah, why don't you, Russ? Two, right? He did have two. Mm. Yeah, the first one was Garrett Augustus Hobart. Gosh, I love that name. Do you? And we decided that was not. The guy that Hobart was named after? No. Here in Indiana. Hobart, Indiana. No, no. it was another guy who we haven't oh. talked about and probably will never talk about. Alas. Yeah. He went by the nickname Gus. Oh. Yeah, it was nice. That warms my heart. That's my sure. son's name for those of you who don't know my son, Gus. He's four and a half. You wouldn't know him. Yeah. So at 16 years old, he enrolled at Rutgers University. Ah. It was uh, actually his... Birthplace of college football. Oh, I think we've talked about this. The very first college football game was at Rutgers, and now oh. they're awful at yeah. it. 
his grandfather the, was one of the founders of Rucker. Well, Rucker. I say Rucker's a joke because like typically Rutgers doesn't fit on like the score thing. So they always oh, just say Rutker. Rucker. I thought you were doing <laughs> the joke so like Kroger's. No. Like when people add no, an S to Rutgers that. It's Rutgers University, yeah. but like on ESPN when they're playing, it'll be like Indiana versus Rutger. Rutger. Rusker. It doesn't seem like it'd be too many letters. Yeah, no. it is. Well, I guess so. Yeah. Um, he graduated Rutgers. At 19 years old with honors. So he was a smart guy. Summa cum laude? I assume so. Okay. Yeah. And he studied law under a man named Socrates Tuttle. That's amazing. His names back then are just so good. Yeah. I was super happy he wasn't a philosophy instructor. Yeah. Yeah. Socrates Tuttle. Socrates Mm. Tuttle. That'd be a dope dog name. Socrates. Socrates. Yeah. Beef oven. Yeah. Yep. So Augustus, Socrates. It was like there's a lot of good names. Gosh, those are great. Now we have like names. Braxton. And <laughs> yeah. Like Brayley. Oh. <laughs> he ended up marrying Socrates' daughter, Jenny, uh, who became Jenny Hobart after she was Jenny Tuttle. And actually would we'll see down the line a little bit. She really took on the role of the hostess of the White House mm. as Ida was ill most of the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he started off in law, as one does, and then he really moved on to becoming more of a businessman. So he was very smart, and a lot of these corporations wanted him on their boards. So banks, railroads, water companies, like he was really leading the train on a lot of these. A lot of the reason that he was brought on as McKinley's vice president, I mean... A lot of it was the funding. Mm-hmm. Like he was a really good, he said politics was his recreation. That was kind of his quote. That huh. seems like it's in line with other vice presidents before him too. Yeah. Like they yeah. just like, wasn't it Tyler that just assumed he could just do his normal job? Yeah. Yeah. And, well, yeah. I mean, he was the exact same way. Like yeah. he had all these business interests that he was involved in and he was making money off of. Mm. And there was an expectation that when he became vice president that he would um d whatever that's called fund not defund <laughs> d like when you would stop would doing st- it yeah d something and he said no he divested mm, in uh, his yeah. interest in like the railroads but that's about it like he still had interest in banks in Man. water companies that ended Gosh. up interest in banks interest in banks yeah. nice so money money spoke well, money yeah. talked money Luckily, got him on the ticket but he was also just rolling in all these businesses that he had. Yeah. Luckily and, for our country, the politicians don't still do that. Yeah. No, thank no, God. no, no, no. M- yeah. Money and politics never Mm-mm. commingle. You said it earlier. Hobart was a big reason that he got all these big donors. That's why yeah. uh, he got the railroads. He got the corporate interest mm. for campaign funding. Okay. That was a big reason they brought him on and that, you know, he would bring him New Jersey. New so, Jersey. For whatever that's worth. But like everyone else, <laughs> seemingly... A subtle shade thrown at New Jersey <laughs> right whatever there. That's wow. Right. Yeah. He didn't want to become vice president. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what did he do about it? He became vice president. Uh, and then yeah. died? No, he didn't die yet. I thought he died. <laughs> yeah. He did well, die. he's definitely dead. Yeah. He did die. He died like three years into office. Okay. Yeah. But while he was vice president, he became usually the vice president and the president really are fairly hands off. Like they don't talk there's not a whole lot of relation they're definitely not advisors to the president okay but he was referred to as the assistant president because they became very close and mckinley 
really used him as kind of a close advisor. So like you said, when the main was sunk and yes. McKinley was wavering on the wobbling, if you wobbling, will. wobbling uh, on the war with Spain, Hobart is one of the ones who really pushed him in the right direction or pushed him in that direction okay. to move forward. Got it. Yeah, I mean, he was close. McKinley actually took his presidential salary Gave it to Hobart to invest. Wow. Because oh, when yeah. he was governor of Ohio, problem, right? he was insolvent. That became a problem, didn't it? Wasn't it like uh, somebody went bankrupt that he gave the money to and he lost like a hundred grand? And then the Hobart Republicans like did a trust huh. to get him his money back? I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that know. happened. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here last. Yeah. Then he, three years in, with about 15 months remaining, he died. Heart attack. Okay. Bing, bang, boom. And then who was the second vice president? Um, Anybody mm, we've heard of? Dun, 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 dun. Teddy Roosevelt. <gasps> ah. Yes, I know him. He's yeah. on yeah. that mountain. Yeah, yeah. So Bully. He, Bully. <laughs> who also had a short stint as VP, but we'll address that later. Yeah. I assume. Yep. Russ, thank you. Sure. Very much for bringing us that heat. Let's talk about the Boxer Rebellion, Blaine. In 1899, Secretary of State John Hay created the Open Door Policy, where the U.S. asked for China to make it so that all nations would be able to trade equally in China. However, in June 1900, the Boxer Rebellion occurred, and the Chinese targeted Western missionaries and foreign communities. The Americans joined forces with Great Britain, France, Germany, Russia, and Japan to stop that rebellion. It was very bloody. It was. it was a very bloody rebellion. Yeah. I don't have anything else. Okay. It was just crazy. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was, was a lot. It was wild. Like, if you get a chance to look up the Boxer Rebellion, yeah. it was super wild. Yeah. But that also did kind of open the door for Western countries to try to inhabit Chinese land. Mm-hmm. So they were still, you know, real focused on the Manifest Destiny thing. Yeah. And they were like, well... When did Manifest Destiny kick in? When was that? I think we talked about that in a prior episode or we said we were going to talk about it. It was like one or two presidents before McKinley. It was in like the 1880s. Who was that? So it was probably Cleveland or Harrison. Uh, Let me just look it up here really quick. Like the actual term. We were doing Manifest Destiny without a a word for it for years. Yeah, I'm trying to find out when that was. And Producer if you don't Russ, know can what you? that is, yeah. Manifest Destiny is the concept that God gave us America and it's all ours and it's our right to take all of it. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Producer Russ, will you kindly help us understand when Manifest Destiny really kicked in? Someone is yelling in their car right now. <laughs> well, right now. It was 1845. John O. Sullivan is credited with coining the term manifest destiny to describe the essence of this mindset. So around Polk. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was way off. Okay. Early in his political career, an opponent of McKinley's gave him a red carnation boutonniere to wear during a debate. He went on to win that debate and then the congressional election in 1887. He then served in the House of Representatives of Ohio for 14 years, and McKinley began to see this red carnation as his good luck charm. He began wearing one during all election cycles, including his two wins as governor and his 1896 presidential campaign. After his first presidential win, he started wearing a single carnation in his lapel at all times. He even kept a bouquet of them on his desk in the Oval Office and would give them to visitors. 
McKinley was also known to give people the flower from his lapel directly, though he would replace it as quickly as possible. What in carnation? (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Did he give the carnation to him for good luck or he gave it to him, he wore it, and then he was like, hey, this is good luck? I don't know. I don't Mm. know if that was like an early prank. I don't know if he was like wishing him well with it. I actually don't know. But this this carnation plays a story later in his assassination. Let's get to it. So it plays his story now in his assassination. Yeah, right now. Why don't we take a break before he dies? I don't know. Why don't we? Okay. Yeah. You're going to hear from some more of our awesome sponsors. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. It's Ryan. If you are in the market to refinance your mortgage and want an expert to walk you through that process, you need to schedule a call today with Austin Bowman at Caliber Home Loans. Austin's been a friend of mine for years and is one of Caliber's top performing loan consultants with over 14 years of experience and expertise. Austin's number one priority is honesty. He's going to listen to your unique needs and guide you through Caliber's superior processing, underwriting, and closing process. For a smooth, hassle-free process from application to closing on your new mortgage, email Austin Bowman today at austin.bowman, that's B-O-W-M-A-N, at caliberhomeloans.com. You can also find Austin's email in our show notes. Whatever you do, don't ask Austin about the time when he took me out for my first time golfing when we were six and we almost hit a goose with our cart. Guys, email austin.bowman at caliberhomeloans.com today. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you need custom-made t-shirts for your team or organization, look no further than our good friends here in Indy, The Art Press. The Art Press is a local, eco-friendly small business that's been around for years here in Indy, designing and printing all the super comfortable shirts you may have seen through their parent company's store, Vardigan. We've worked with them on our awesome new shirts that feature Thomas Jefferson writing a fire-breathing mastodon, and our experience couldn't have gone better. If you need help creating a design or you have your artwork ready, to print, Derek and the team at The Art Press can help you get your orders set up online quickly and easily. Plus, they ship everywhere and offer excellent customer service. Get a quote on your order of shirts today at theartpress.com. That's theartpress.com. Hey, welcome back. We're talking about William McKinley, and guess what? He's about to get shot. On September 6, 1901, he's greeting visitors in the Temple of Music at the Pan-American Exposition in Buffalo, New York. Blaine, name some other Buffalo-related presidents in three, two, one. Cleveland. Millard Fillmore is who we were looking for. But Cleveland was also one because he was the sheriff. He was the the executioner guy. Yeah. Well, one of the people who he was greeting was 12-year-old Myrtle Ledger from Springbrook, New York, Myrtle. Though many reports say Ledger asked McKinley for the red carnation in his lapel, she told the story a bit differently. When she met the president, she remembered 70 years later that he asked for her name. She responded, my name is Myrtle. And he said, well, in that case, I must give this flower to another little flower. He removed his trademark flower and presented it to Myrtle Ledger. Not far in line behind her was a 28-year-old anarchist by the name of Leon, and his last name is spelled C-Z-O-L-G-O-S-Z. Russ, how do we pronounce that? Shagas. Shagas. Leon, let's just call him Leon. 
Okay. Yeah. We don't know how to pronounce it. If you do, great. Though protocol mandated that people wishing to meet the president do so with empty hands, it was an exceptionally hot day. So many people walked up. They were like, it's fine. He has a gun. Yeah, it's fine. It's cool. It's no problem. (laughs) Well, Leon was one of them, and he had a handkerchief wrapped around his hand as if he was protecting an injury. Well, when the president reached out to shake the uninjured hand... Leon slapped the president's hand away and shot him twice in the torso with a 32 caliber revolver that had been concealed. And the president said, have I been shot? That's a direct quote. Yep. Yeah. Have I been shot? Yeah. Is this- I'd like to back up a second and imagine that interview with Myrtle mm. 70 years later mm-hmm. was like part of what inspired Titanic. Like... <laughs> She's like, and I still have the carnation today. It's right here. She pressed it in a book. Yeah. Yeah. And whoops, so it fell off the back. Mm-hmm. There was room on that raft, Myrtle. You could have saved the president. Gosh. She could have. <laughs> she could have. That's right. You know who else could have saved the president? His surgeons. Yeah. <laughs> you know who tried to save him, though, before we get to the whole doctor debacle? Probably... Theodore Roosevelt. This is a cool story. No, Teddy wasn't in town, but he did rush to Buffalo was to it get Leonard sworn Wood? In. No, not Leonard Wood, the guy who is uh, has a fort named after him. Mm-hmm. Who did you say? Yeah, no, not him either. There's an African-American man uh, named James Parker who is standing directly behind the assassin. As he sees him shoot the president, he hits this guy in the neck. Yeah, they beat the crap out of that he guy. beat the crap out of him. He knocked the gun out of Leon's hand. And in Parker's own account of the event, given in a newspaper interview a few days later, he said, quote, I heard the shots. I did what every citizen of this country should have done. I'm told that I broke his nose. I wish it had been his neck. I'm sorry I did not see him four seconds before. I don't say that I would have thrown myself before the bullets, but I do say that the life of the head of this country is worth more than that of an ordinary citizen. And I should have caught the bullets in my body rather than the president should get them end quote so james parker if you want to learn a little bit more about him go check him out on google really an interesting story about just he he had been a uh, like a catering employee in the hall and he was actually laid off and he was like well all right i guess i'll go check out the president and just happened to be standing right behind the assassin which is kind of part of the so leon was influenced by the queen of anarchy emma goldman yeah, who I she was like somewhat like of a, like a firebrand speaker in really the early in the northeast. Carrie right? Brownstein, the <laughs> uh, she's the other portion of Portlandia. Ah, yes. Oh, that's right. She, yeah, she's in sorry. A punk rock band. Yeah, Sex Pistols. They yep. were probably big fans of Emma. Yeah, and uh, Emma was uh, she sung about in the musical Ragtime. Mm-hmm. I know that because one of my favorite songs from that musical is "The Night That Goldman Spoke at Union Square." That's the name of a song. It's a very long title. Yeah, that's really like good. A Fallout Boy song. Yeah. Do you want uh, me to sing it for you? No. It was winter in New York as the snow began to fall. I won't. That's sorry. Sorry. I won't and then continue. he shot him twice in the chest. Bow, bow. You should. And audition. it was all Emma Goldman's fault. Curtain intermission. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so McKinley, uh, do you want to talk any more about Emma Goldman? No, not really. Yeah, right. I mean, she was a she was literally her title was the Queen of Anarchy. And this she guy would go Leon, around speaking, and he heard her speak. He became somewhat of an anarchist himself. Leon Cholgas, Cholgas. How are we saying his last name? Cholgas. Shoulders. Cholgas. He was from Michigan. Yeah, he was from Michigan. Lived in Pennsylvania, I believe, for a little yeah. while. But at the time, he was working in Detroit. Yeah, and, and I think he was he was upset with McKinley down. because of... He was an anarchist. Well, yes, but he was also <laughs> upset thinking that McKinley had it out for the working man. Mm. 
which he obviously didn't know McKinley's history because McKinley... the miners. Yeah, the miners. Yeah, the minor miners. Well, McKinley allegedly utters, quote, don't let them hurt him. Yeah. As the angry mob descended on Leon. Later at the emergency hospital, McKinley said of his assassin, quote, it must have been some poor misguided fellow. He didn't know, poor fellow, what he was doing. He couldn't have known, end quote. McKinley at that time also remembered his wife's weak condition, and he told his secretary, quote, My wife, be careful how you tell her. Oh, be careful. Oh, be careful. Yeah. Already thinking about how, I mean, I mean, think about that, though. Like, you're the president of the United States. You've just been shot, and you're thinking of the guy He's, who shot you and your wife. What, the fourth president that's been shot in 35 years? Yeah, it was the third presidential murder third. in 36 years. Yeah, so yeah. close. Yeah, very close. Lincoln, um, Garfield, and him. Yeah. yeah. Let's just think about that for a second. Was Lincoln's son at this one too? That's a good question. He was at Garfield. He was at Garfield. He was, man, that's a good question. I don't know. Producer Russ, would you mind I looking feel up? I like if, he was, and he was like, not again. Was it Tad or was it Robert? Robert. It was Robert, Robert yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Robert Lincoln. Yeah. And he, he again, if go back to the Lincoln episode if you haven't listened to that one because he would basically say he would decline any invitation if he was around yeah. president. He's like, nah, me and presidents don't get along. One of the bullets had bounced off a button on McKinley's coat. Doctors believe the other one was lodged somewhere in his back muscles, having passed through his stomach. Instead of locating and removing the missing bullet, McKinley's stomach was simply sewn back up. Matthew Mann, who was and instead a... instead of washing their hands. Oh, gosh. Just dove in. Just dove right in. Like Garfield, right? Yeah. Well, Matthew Mann was a physician and professor of gynecology at the University of Buffalo, and he was chosen by a hastily assembled group of doctors to perform surgery on McKinley, but the team could not find the second bullet inside the president's body, which also went down with Garfield, too, mm-hmm. which wasn't a second bullet. I think. Well, actually, he was, I think, shot in the arm, and then one mm-hmm. was lodged and couldn't be found. A brand new x-ray machine sent by Thomas Edison arrived in Buffalo, but was never used, as it was thought that McKinley's condition was improving. Russ, did you find some info? Lincoln, Garfield, McKinley. Okay, yeah. where was he then in Buffalo, I wonder? Well, I mean, it was like the World's Fair or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. probably so a lot of who's there. who's were yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Well, by evening, McKinley knew that he was dying. He said, it is useless, gentlemen. I think we ought to have prayer. Relatives and friends gathered around the deathbed, and the first lady sobbed over him, saying, I want to go too. I want to go too. William replied, We are all going. We are all going. God's will be done, not ours. And with final strength, put an arm around her. He may also have sung part of his favorite hymn called Nearer My God to Thee. Oh, I know that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah, I do. You want to? Nope. Nope. All right. First, second, and fourth verses I know very well. Not the third. (laughs) Although other accounts have her singing it to him softly as he passed on. McKinley dies at 2.15 a.m. on September 14th, 1901, eight days after being shot and just six months into his second term as president. According to the coroner, the cause was gangrene of the stomach. That afternoon, Vice President Roosevelt was sworn in as president of the U.S. The nation mourned the loss of its leader and grappled with its third presidential murder in just 36 years. After being pummeled right after the shooting, Leon had been arrested and taken to police headquarters before nearly being lynched by the angry crowds that surrounded the Temple of Music. He readily admitted that he was the one who had shot the president, and in a written confession, he stated, quote, I killed President McKinley because I'd done my duty. I didn't believe one man should have so much service and another man should have none, end quote. He was brought on trial the September 23rd, 1901, quickly found guilty and sentenced to death. On October 29th, 1901 he was electrocuted three times 
He got three volts, or he got three mm. shocks. Uh, was Jackie Coogan one of the ones leading the charge on uh, trying to hang him? Large proponent of I don't know who Jack lynching. I don't yeah. know who Jackie yeah, Coogan is. Yeah, you do. Hold on, yeah, let, me do. Look up, let me look. He's up Uncle there. Fester. He's the kid. Oh yeah. Why do I know this story? Because we told you. Yeah. That's right. A long time ago. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the yeah. rabbit holes Russ and I have gone down. It's been months and months yeah. ago since the Jackie Coogan story. Yeah. And you look like Jackie Coogan, Russ, on our uh, on is. our cover art of our yeah. Of our logo. And that's on though. purpose. I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Dimitri You've Morrison. You've also dealt with the same amount of drama. Yeah. <laughs> Dimitri Morrison, our graphic designer, did a very good job of making you look like you belong on a no-fly list. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he did a great job. <laughs> well, uh, the day after McKinley's funeral, some of the president's closest friends picked a location for his memorial in Canton, Ohio. It had been recommended by his wife, Ida, who said her husband was fond of that particular hilltop spot. She attended when the cornerstone was laid on November 16th, 1905, but she would not live to see the completion of the project because she died on May 26, 1907. McKinley's pink granite tomb in Canton, Ohio rises 96 feet above the ground. Halfway up the 108 steps to the entrance, you'll meet a almost 10 foot tall bronze statue of him sculpted from a photograph of McKinley giving a speech the day before he was shot. There are also memorials in McKinley's honor in front of the state capitol building in Columbus, Ohio, the Lucas County Courthouse in Toledo, Ohio, and Buffalo City Hall in Buffalo, New York. You guys want to talk about his legacy? Yeah. Let's yeah. go. The, well, everything from where he was assassinated has been removed. That statue stands, I believe, in Buffalo where the music hall or whatever you call yeah. it used to stand because all of those were temporary structures yeah. for the World's Fair or whatever. There's a lot that happened in presidential stuff in Buffalo, which is kind of random. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't now think they like, have the bills. You think like what? And now they have the bills. Yeah. Oof. But thanks for the wings. Yeah. I think like Philadelphia, New York, obviously DC, Mm -hmm. but not Buffalo. And if you're listening to this in Buffalo, we want to hear from you. Please. You should think Buffalo. Don't we we have a big fan that's a teacher in Syracuse? Yes. Rob Rate. Yeah. Rob is a uh, teacher there. He's a big Syracuse fan. It's only like two hours from Buffalo. Yeah. Not too far. Yeah. Yeah, Shout out to you, Rob. Uh, McKinley is best remembered for his role in expansionism and for conducting the Spanish-American War in 1898. During his time in office, the U.S. became a world colonial power, taking ownership of Hawaii, purchasing the Philippines, Guam, and Puerto Rico. One final important act in his time in office was the passage of the Gold Standard Act, which placed the U.S. on the gold standard. He was not really a charismatic or dramatic leader like the two Roosevelts and Wilson who would succeed him. Rather, he was an astute and patient politician whose skills and confidence enabled him to make really firm decisions even when they weren't popular. He was also nicknamed the Iceberg. That was one of his nicknames as well. Yeah, Harrison got pegged. As, we mm-hmm. named the episode that as yep. well, the, the Iceberg. Yeah, he was not the most affable man. He was wobbly. But people really respected him, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. According to the C-SPAN's Presidential Historian Survey, McKinley currently sits at number 14 below Woodrow Wilson and above John Adams. Well, that's really high. Where did you think he would have been placed? I don't... I, I and again, this is just, just one poll. But. Yeah. I guess it's just because I didn't know a ton about him yeah. before this. Yeah. I would have just assumed he would have been lower. Yeah. Polk, but he was a two-termer. I mean... Polk would have been one of those guys for me that I would have been like, who's that? You know, and like yeah. would have think that he would have been lower, but he was actually higher. And yeah. Williams Jennings, William Jennings Bryan is kind of the Buffalo Bills of presidential. <laughs> yeah. Like three yeah. or four straight right. losses mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl. Just kept running. Yeah. Just kept running. Yeah. Who was the guy, guy earlier with like Jackson 
who just kept running in this. Oh, oh was that Henry uh, Clay? Webster, no, Clay. Clay, was it, yeah. Was it Henry Clay? Kentuckian, like, yeah. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Yeah. Yeah. Him and uh, old John Calhoun. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, let's finish so this So much sentence. energy out of Russ tonight. William McKinley is the reason <laughs> the United States of America was on the gold standard. Mm. Russ? Uh, had another president that was shot. Got Teddy Got Roosevelt. Got Teddy Roosevelt. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Jinx. Yo, me a Coke. Yeah. Little known facts. Here we go. One of my favorite segments. One of yours as well. Thank you so much. So if for- you didn't understand the reference earlier, this is why we chose bullet bourbon Yeah, yeah uh, bullet. for yeah. someone who died by gangrene. Yes. Not spelled the same as an actual bullet, but no. sounds the same. Here we go. He was the fifth president from Ohio in 28 years. Eight of our presidents were born in Ohio, earning Ohio the nickname the mother of presidents. Besides McKinley, the other native Ohioans, native Ohioans, were William Henry Harrison, Grant, Hayes, his mentor, Garfield, Benjamin Harrison, Taft, and Harding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ohio, way to go. Yeah. Cranking them out. They have a Virginia. Lot of yeah, Virginia also has a Virginia, lot. they're tied, right? Both I have eight. Think? Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, maybe. McKinley welcomed seven hundred fifty thousand Americans in hundreds of delegations from thirty states to his home for his front porch strategy of campaigning. He really did the first modern political campaign. Mm-hmm. I mean, he if you think about it, he's a turn-of-the-century president. That doesn't always happen. And so 700, I mean, like three-quarters of a million people descended upon his home from 30 different states. That's saying something. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of smart, too. Like, he's like, I'm going to yeah, stay you here. You come to me. I'm not coming to you. Yeah, I'm going to stay here. It's like when you travel back to your home state and you've got lots of family that wants to see you. And yeah. you're like, I'm going to be at this house. Yes. If you want to see me, come to this house. That's right. I'm not driving all over the state. Nah, fam. Russ, did you find a fun fact on online? No. Virginia is the number one state. Oh, then, Ohio, then Ohio. Followed by New York. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he was the first president to ride in an automobile, the first to campaign by telephone, and the first to have his inauguration recorded on film. I'm sorry. How did he campaign by telephone? Did he call? He picked it up, and he did a little rotary thing. He spoke into it, and a lady on the other end was like, Operator, what do you need? So he called people. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ida. McKinley made history as a first lady. In addition to being the first incumbent to ever be captured on film and to visit a foreign country, she advocated for the right of women to receive a proper education. She was also the first incumbent first lady to endorse women's suffrage publicly. She also, for some reason, hated the color yellow and had everything yellow removed from the White House, including flowers. She just hated yellow. Absolutely hated it. Don't know why. Can't give you any reason behind that, but there you go. Huh. Ida McKinley. Just couldn't stand it. Like your son mentioned, his face is on the $500 bill. $500 bills are not very common anymore. The collector value of them is generally around one and a half to two times the value printed on the bill. The back side of the $500 bill, do you know what's on the back of it? Take a guess. Uh, Carnation. Okay. Oh, that'd be fitting. That'd be fitting. Russ, what about you? Uh, Leonard Wood. <laughs> is it gold? It is neither. Fort Knox. Nope. It just says $500. (laughs) It's basically Monopoly money. It's like like Little Caesars. It's like, look, it's six bucks. Yeah. 
He was one of 14 presidents uh, to date who were Freemasons. He was a Mason in 1865 in Virginia. This is fun. Russ, I think we're getting close to the Bohemian Grove presidents, too. Yeah, we're getting in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, We should do maybe like a bonus episode just on that whole thing. Concept. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty wild. Russ, as I was taking these notes, I was like, oh, Russ is going to love this. Oh, good. Are you strapped in? <laughs> you ready? All right. So McKinley had a double yellow-headed... Mexican parrot named Washington Post that in true patriotic form could whistle Yankee Doodle Dandy. McKinley would whistle the opening bars of the song and his parrot, Washington Post, would finish the tune. I'm sorry, what type of parrot was it? It was a double yellow-headed Mexican parrot. So it had two heads, (laughs) I think. Did it? Did it have two heads? And it was yellow. That's what it sounds like. And his wife hated yellow. She, I, man, she hated that bird. Yeah. You know she hated oh, yeah. she Maybe hated that's that why. damn bird. I bet the bird hated her. Yeah. They can sense Both that, you know. Parrots can really sense when you're anti-parrot. That's they, true. They know. Anyway, he appointed they the parrot. They <laughs> They appointed the parrot to the official position of White House greeter. <laughs> and the parrot apparently took this quite seriously because <laughs> he wanted to make everyone feel welcome, especially the ladies. Whenever a woman would walk by, his cage, Washington Post, would pipe up. Rah! Look at the pretty girls. Oh, man. So legit had a parrot that he trained to catcall women. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of random, right? Okay. Yeah. So it was a construction parrot. He was. Yeah, yes, got it. A jackhammer and a little yeah. reflective vest. Tiny little hat. Yeah, and maybe two heads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, two tiny Two yellow heads. But so did you look this up? Yeah, What's they only have one head, but I didn't really oh, want to get into what? that. So it's double yellow? Yeah. Oh, okay. Let me see a picture of it. Let me see. This is the guy. Double. Let me see. It. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, it's kind of a green body and a yellow head. I don't know why they would call that a double yellow-headed parrot. I'm sure you could find out, though. It was a Mexican parrot, too. The double yellow-headed is Amazonian. Ah, okay. Well, forgive me for the Amazonian. Which makes sense. Maybe you picked it up in Central America. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe it was from Nicaragua. In 1896, a gold prospector named William Dickey gave McKinley's name to the tallest mountain in North America, 20,310-foot-tall Denali. The Alaska Board of Geographic Names changed the name of the mountain back to Denali, which is what it was called by locals, in 1975. The Department of the Interior followed suit in August of 2015, fairly recently, as a part of a visit to Alaska by President Barack Obama. Similarly, Denali National Park was known as Mount McKinley National Park until December of 1980, when it was changed by legislation signed by President Jimmy Carter. So there are like... Carter, Obama, Trump wanted it changed back to McKinley. And by that point, Denali was like, nah, fam, we're, we're not going to do that anymore. Like, we're done messing around with the name. But it was all because of so a what's gold it called prom. now? Is it called Denali? It's called Denali okay. now. Yeah, there's a show. Yeah. What? There's a PBS kids show called Molly of Denali, oh. where she is Inuit. I think it's an Inuit. Oh. Yeah. okay. Fun fact, my neighbor is an Inuit archaeologist. He is Inuit, who is nope. anarch. Uh, he, he's an anarchist. No, uh, <laughs> no, he's an archaeologist of the Inuit people. Yep. Mm-hmm. He wow. apparently like discovered some previously unknown Inuit tribe in one of his digs. Oh. Wow. He must hate McKinley then. Ooh, I'm going to ask him. 
1904, this is my last little known fact, mm-hmm. unless you guys have, a, have some others. In 1904, this is really cool. The Ohio General Assembly named the Scarlet Carnation the official state flower in McKinley's honor. That's in what of, year? 1904. Okay. So, so shortly after. Yeah. Huh. Kind of cool, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's nice. What's a little... carnation look like? Uh, it's like it's what a lot you of would. Petals. Oh, okay, yeah. that's what I thought. A lot of it's kind of like a Valentine's Day flower yeah. if you're already like married. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's the cheap flower. It's the cheap flower. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's yeah. the okay. squirting clown flower. Oh, Russ? see, I was picturing the entire time the one the Canadians wear a lot. The red, that's the pop- maple poppy. Leaf. Is yeah, that, is that not? <laughs> The maple, it's the poppy, is it not? Yeah, it's for poppy, like Remembrance poppy. Day. Mm-hmm. Here's my question: What's Seen the name? Some poppy fields in my life. Uh, yeah, you have gorgeous. You've landed in some poppy fields too. Sure have, yeah. Okay. What is the name of Toronto's hockey team? The Maple Leafs. Okay. How do you spell Leafs? L e a f s. Why is it not leaves? Because they're Canadian, man. They do whatever they want. You have a very strong argument. You? huh? Does that bother you or something? As as a grammarist, I, I'm just like, why is it not the maple leaves? Well, I mean, they've been around since like 1890, so. I get like adding a U to color or favor or neighbor. <laughs> Your favorite. But <laughs> favorite. But like, why not call it the maple leaves? If you know, I would like to learn. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you for listening to the Presequential Podcast brought to you by Greeks Pizzeria. Thanks to our other sponsors, Austin Bowman with Caliber Home Loans and Chop Chop Barbershop. Of course, uh, we want to give a shout out to the Indie Art Press as well for our world famous Mastodon shirts. You guys can get those on your website, ryansongs.com. Oh, yeah. Ryansongs.com. Just go search for those shirts. If you can follow me on Instagram. The link is in my bio. Is it? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. At Blaine Zimmerman. Yeah. Please leave a review, subscribe, connect with us on all the socials. Our next episode of 26th President Teddy Roosevelt will be released on Wednesday, December 22nd, 2021. Don't forget to sign up and become a patron for as little as five bucks a month to get early, ad-free, and for 10 bucks a month, some bonus episodes. We hope you enjoyed episode 25, The Wobbly of the Presequential Podcast. 